0: Our scripture reading this morning is 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The word of the Lord.
1: Um, over a year ago, um, I met someone that, that very quickly um, I noticed their passion for the Lord, their heart and love for the Lord, and um, and I, I met uh, this gentleman uh, in a seminary class and uh, he's here today I've anticipated this uh, for for months um, to hear from Welton uh, Welton is our speaker this morning um, I, I've really grown to appreciate him over the past year as a brother in Christ his wife Casey is there and their their son Elijah is is back hanging out with Phyllis. Um, but I'm so grateful that they're willing to come out and share with us. Welton is a, is a church planter down in D.C. Um, been at that for what, about three years. Um, so he's gonna share with us this morning. And then after we close the service, um, if, you, if y'all could just kinda uh, sit back down for, for five minutes, um, because he's gonna share, I, I think we're, we're gonna be blessed to hear Some ministry that they're doing this summer with children um, and the opportunity that we might have to come alongside that. Uh, So he's going to share with us after the service closes. I want to give you a heads up on that. But uh, we want to welcome Welton. Uh, Thank you for coming.
2: Good morning, church. This is, this is pretty high, I feel. This is cool. <laughs> um, I want to thank you all, especially you, Brian, for just, and, and all the elders as well, for allowing me the honor to preach the word of God to the church, the flock that they've been called the shepherd. I take this, I, I take this honor very seriously, but it's also my great joy. Is rubbing against my beard? Uh, okay. Anywho. And I want to thank all of you all for, for allowing me to share with you. Um, many of you don't know me, though. My name is Welton Bonner. I'm the husband of Casey. He shared all that, father of Elijah. And I am also a graduate of Capitol Seminary and Graduate School and one of Brian's former students. I also am a youth and young adult minister in the inner city of D.C. at Greater Love Church, where we planted almost three years ago. Now, one thing I want you to understand is that me being up here before you all is nothing but a miracle. Long story short, I am a prodigal's child. I grew up in church, and when I say in church, I mean that every time the doors were open, I was in the church, okay? <laughs> and when I and, and at the age of 13, though, I fell in love with the street life that I saw on TV and at my neighborhood park. Before long, I was 17 and kicked out of the house. Um, I, I had dropped out of school, thought I had two different baby mothers at the same time. I was poorly selling marijuana because I kept smoking my own stuff. I was getting in fights every weekend, chased with guns, robbing people in places with guns, stealing for a living and also at the same time, I, I was always high but never happy, and I was arrested four different times. The last time I was arrested was almost eight years ago, and that is where I, the gospel of Jesus Christ came alive to me, and there in that in my bunks, I called out to Jesus, and I said, Lord, here's my life. You take it and do whatever you please with it. And from that day forward, I haven't been the same. The grace of God is the only reason that I am not just another dead black male slain in the streets or rotten in a jail cell. God's faithfulness is is real, and I'm a living witness. So thank you for allowing me to be up here before you. Can you pray with me for a minute, and we'll dive into our text. Dear Father, I, I, I pray and I plead to you, That you would reach inside the souls of your people today with your word and by your mighty hand pull them out of any discouragement or fear that they are facing today through the grace of your son Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and the fellowship of the saints. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. On your deathbed, in your final hours, what would you m- be most concerned about? Some would say how they lived on earth, but probably all of us would be most concerned with our families. But what exactly would you be most concerned about, your, fa- your families? Probably their physical well-being and success, and maybe that they don't grieve you too much. And maybe there's some spiritual health sprinkled in the midst. Paul, however, was most concerned about his spiritual family member, Timothy, his eternal well-being and spiritual success. Paul was most concerned that Timothy would carry on the message of the gospel despite the discouraging obstacles standing in Timothy's way. He had discouragement on the outside of the church because the emperor Nero, he was lighting Christians on fire like candlesticks and posting them on the streets of Rome. There was persecution. And, and because Timothy was in Ephesus at the time of writing Second Timothy, Ephesus was basically like an auxiliary of Rome. So there was persecution in Rome as well. There was then on the inside of the church, there were people that did not like or respect his leadership because he was a young man. That's why that passage that was quoted, let no one despise you because of your youth resonated so well. Timothy was burdened by that. And not only did he have people that didn't like him because of his youth, but he also had people that were teaching false doctrine and spreading it throughout the church. So Timothy had a job up ahead, and it was a burden, a a heavy task. And I don't know about you, but I know if I was facing those obstacles, I'd be quite discouraged. And I think Timothy was as well. Some of you might, might have felt the burden of ministry overwhelmed by the obstacles standing in the way of you serving Yahweh and fulfilling your purpose, fulfilling your calling. And so God sent me to encourage you that's why the title of this sermon is encouragement to a discouraged disciple in verse 3 this my first point is this remember the disciple in prayer. Remember the disciple in prayer. Notice in verse three, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve as I, as did my ancestors, as I, with a clear conscience, as I constantly remember you in prayer. Everything from verses three through five are connected to Paul's thankfulness to God. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. Notice Paul wants to specify who his God is. This is no general or vague conception of some random man upstairs. No, Paul is thankful to the God whom he has dedicated his whole life to. He has been beaten for this God. He has been stoned nearly to death for this God, shipwrecked and bitten by venomous snakes for this God. Yet Paul is telling Timothy that he did so gladly to God the verb here for serve also can be translated worship like in romans 12:1 i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present yourselves as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is your reasonable Service. But some translations say worship. Latruo can mean worship. Paul is saying, I'm laid my life down as a worship to God. This is the God I serve. I'm not just serving some vague God, but the God I've dedicated my whole life to. But he is not done specifying his God. This God is the God whom his ancestors served as well. The God of Enoch, Noah, Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, the God of Moses, David, Elijah, and Isaiah, and most of all, the God of Jesus Christ. Their God, Paul is saying to Timothy, is my God, whom I have dedicated my whole life to as an offering to him, as a living sacrifice. He's saying to Timothy, our ancestors were living sacrifice, and I am only joining in their rank. When you pray, do you just pray to a general God? Or do you focus in on the majestic God you have been given the opportunity to pray to? See, Paul's vague is not, Paul's prayer is not vague. He's specific. He's tuned in. And notice he also says, I pray to this God and I thank him with a clear conscience. He can say that he has offered himself to God as a living sacrifice, knowing that he has given his all to God and held nothing back. Paul's conscience is clear because he lived all out for Jesus. Because Jesus lived all out for him. If you were to die today, would your conscience be clear that you have given God your all? See, With Paul, as you probably know, in 2 Timothy, Paul is on his way to the execution chamber, so to speak. He's months away at the most from having his head cut off from his body. And yet, when he says to Timothy, guess what? I'm praying for you. (laughs) Shouldn't, Shouldn't Timothy be praying for Timothy? Timothy's like, no, no, no. I'm praying for you. And then notice he says, I, the reason why I thank God. He says, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Notice when Paul is thanking the God he serves and what causes his thankfulness to Yahweh. It's Timothy. It's a relationship with this young disciple. It's a relationship with this man that he met at Lystra. He led Timothy to Christ and his mother, his mother Eunice, and he's going to talk about that later. And he led them to Christ, and later on his second missionary journey, he took Timothy under his wing and journeyed across Europe for the gospel. He journeyed all throughout, facing all these obstacles with this Timothy. And he says, Timothy, you are my pride and my joy. Every time I think about you, it just, it's just, and in my prayers, it just causes me to thank God. In the midst of his final moments in life, in the midst of people abandoning Paul that, that thought, that Paul thought were his friends. In the midst of about to be beheaded, though he was innocent, Paul has a reason for gratitude to God. And that is that he has a spiritual son. Notice in verse two, he says to my son. My beloved child he has a spiritual son named Timothy who will carry on the gospel do you have any spiritual children so to speak <laughs> a big part of this message a burden on my heart is to is a call to spiritual mentorship and discipleship see So often when we don't have people in our lives that are really caring for us deeply, like we're going to examine further, like we can get stuck in the pit of discouragement and doubt and fear. But but just one person pouring into you can pull you out. It's beautiful. God designed it this way. But who are you pouring into? And who is pouring into you? How many in here have people that they pray for night and day? Notice Paul says, I pray for you night and day. Why is it that often in Christianity that the only time we pray for people night and day is when they lost a loved one? Why is it that we, and and when we think about these discipleship manuals, so often it's just about what you need to teach this child, what you need to teach this person. But so often they lose sight of prayer. They lose sight of the power of prayer. But Paul Paul is not that naive. He says, I pray for you night and day because my prayers for you can reach you in ways that I physically can't. He says, I pray for you both night and day. To dedicate time in your night and day to lift someone else you are caring for in prayer is one of the greatest gifts you can give to them. And also it is a gift to yourself. We all need mentors in our lives that pray for us, and we all need to be disciple makers that pray for others. But some of you have tried to reach out to people that you have looked up to in the faith, and they did not follow through on pouring into your life. Well, know this, that you have a high priest named Jesus Christ who is constantly interceding on your behalf to his Father. He ever lives to plead for you. No one can care for you better than he can. Every time Paul prayed for Timothy, he was merely an extension of Christ's ministry to his father to Timothy. The love that Paul had for Timothy was nothing like the love that Christ had for Timothy and the love that Christ has for you. Even now, he is these holes in his hands and he is pleading. He ever lives to intercede for you even when you feel forsaken and discouraged. So know that you have the greatest mentor already. But we should still continue to pursue those discipleship relationships. Point number two, remember the disciple in relationship. Look at verse four. He talks about, I thank God for you. I thank the God whom I serve, Timothy. But he says, as I remember you, as I I remember your tears, I long to see you. As I remember your tears, I long to see you. He says, he says, Timothy, every time I remember your voice cracking as we prayed, as we last departed, you were, you were in tears. I remember our hugs. I remember all those conversation and meals we had together. I remember when I was stoned almost to death and you and other believers prayed for me. Timothy, I remember our relationship. Those memories. Paul says, they make me long to be with you. How special does it feel when there's someone that you admire or look up to and they want to spend time with you? Some some in here might have had basketball or might be basketball fans, but imagine like Steph Curry saying, hey, can I come and spend some time with you? You know, you'd be like, oh, like this is great, you know. Golden State Warriors in my house. Now, if you're a Cleveland fan, you might not want that, okay. But anyway, (laughs) I digress because at the end of the day, we all love when people that we look up to want to be with us. Timothy, Timothy Paul is saying, I remember you. I long to be with you. How encouraging is that? Not only is Paul encouraging Timothy by telling him that he prays for him, but he is encouraging him by sharing how much he wants to see him and fellowship with him. See, that's how we can encourage people that are in the the pit of despair and discouragement. Some of you might even be feeling that this morning. Some of you might have somebody in mind that you know that is in that pit. And it's nothing like When somebody you know genuinely, they really care for you and they want to be with you. They want to spend time with you. They want to get to know you deeply. That was Paul and Timothy's relationship. And that is what our relationships are to be like in Christ. But unfortunately, unfortunately, Christian discipleship today is much like our school systems. It is so data-driven that it completely misses the mark of real relationships. It is, that, that, that it is, it is so unbiblical. Paul and Timothy's relationship is a clear example that there was much weeping and tears and, and, and brotherly intimacy between them. Are all relationships that deep? The truth is, in many churches today, we settle for the shallow and miss the beauty and blessings of the deep. Honestly, my brothers and sisters, I have only experienced this depth of relationship a few times in my life. At Washington Bible College, I was a young, passionate believer, a new believer at that. I was only a year in when I went to Bible college, and I was struggling with a a lot of inner baggage and turmoil from my past, and it was wearing me down, and I felt I needed a mentor. Now, let's just say I had an expectation, let's say it's an ethnic expectation, of what I thought my mentor should look like. And I hope not to offend anyone, but I just talk candidly about stuff like this. I saw this godly black guy on campus who drove a cool car, and so I thought he was supposed to be my mentor. (laughs) I sat down with this guy in the library and asked him to mentor me, and he never really did. He said yes, but he never did it. However, while I was out there mentor shopping, God, God was already providing for me one. At nights in the dorms, I would always run into this six foot seven white guy with a carabiner on his hip the size of a raccoon. And he always wore boots, even with his shorts. But every time I ran into him, we would talk for two or more hours. And I would always walk away enriched and encouraged. We ended up talking like that almost every day for two and a half years. I learned so much from our conversations, the books he let me borrow and the places he took me to. Our Bible college ended up closing, though, and its doors were were shut permanently. And when I was moving up to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we prayed together before I left. And when I say we wept... We wept. So I know exactly why Timothy was in tears at that point, because their bond was now going to have a location barrier to it. It's funny, though. I got a picture. I got a text from my mentor not too long ago. He, it's crazy. He's actually a member of my church, and I'm his pa- one of his pastors now. It's kind of <laughs> crazy. But you can show this picture real quick. He texted me. He said, that's the mentor Welton expected. And that's the mentor Welton got. <laughs> so sometimes the mentor doesn't end up like you think it will. But it was great. Do you have any spiritual relationships that deep? If not, what is stopping you? Is it busyness? Is it wanting to hide under a mask that everything is okay when it actually is not? Well, let me tell you that you are missing out on one of God's greatest graces, which is real spiritual friendships, and then Paul says, "I thank God, whom I I, I I thank God as I remember your tears, Timothy." And he says, "I long to see you that I may be filled with joy." The reason Paul wants to see Timothy is not just that Timothy would be encouraged, but Paul on death row would find great delight in fellowshipping with his spiritual son one last time. Discipleship and mentor-mentee relationships are truly mutual graces. Both parties get blessed in the midst of it. So why do we hold back from receiving or giving such a gift? I think we sometimes hide behind the facade of self-care and self-health so much so that we rob ourselves of true spiritual friendship, which means we miss out on being filled with joy. God designed the Christian life not to be lived alone or shallowly, but in deep connectivity to the Trinity and the church. And then Paul says, my my last point, remember the disciples' roots. Remember the disciples' roots. He says, Timothy, as I thank God and as I remember your tears, I'm also reminded of your sincere faith. Timothy was rooted in a sincere faith. The word for sincere means without hypocrisy. There was there, Timothy's faith was no facade. His faith was not just because people were watching. His faith was not his mother and grandmother's faith. His faith was not to impress Paul or please Paul, though he may have struggled with discouragement, doubt, and fear. Timothy was truly a man of God. A man who had repented of his sins and trusted in Christ alone for forgiveness and redemption. Timothy was a real believer. And some of you in here, I don't know. But is your faith real? Or is it your wife's faith, your husband's faith, your pastor's faith? And you are just pretending. Or have you truly believed the gospel and trusted in the redemption that is in Christ Jesus? Have you truly abandoned trying to save yourself by your good deeds and turned wholly to Jesus Christ? Or are you in this room just pretending? And then Paul says, Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. But he says, notice, if dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. He said, And just like Paul mentioned earlier that he served as did his ancestors, Paul remembers Timothy's physical and at the same time spiritual ancestors. His grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice on Paul's first missionary journey is most likely where these two Jewish women came to faith in Christ and Timothy as well. They were already believers in the God of Israel, but they had finally come to real faith in the true Messiah. And truly, so they were Timothy's first spiritual mentors, so to speak. Mothers and grandmothers here today, you don't know how special your calling is. You don't know how much you have impact on the lives of your children. Paul says, Timothy, they were your mentors long before me. You have a responsibility. I know fathers are called to lead the family and disciple, but guess what? Mothers are too. You have just as much a responsibility, just as much influence, because you spend even more time typically. And now, Paul says, I am sure it dwells in you as well. Paul is confident because he knows Timothy and Timothy's spiritual background, his spiritual roots, that Timothy is genuine. How many mentors in here have spent enough time with their mentee to know their story and see their life enough to say with confidence that you are the real deal? I know you are. Because sometimes mentees, disciples get discouraged, and it's going to take you to call them out and say, no, I know you're real. I've spent time with you. I've seen your faith. I've seen it. I know you're the real deal. he or she will have doubts that they are just the same old sinner that they used to be. They'll feel overwhelmed with guilt and condemnation at times. But it'll be up to you to say, I know your faith is genuine. Paul is calling that out because he's seen it. And he's pointing Timothy to the times where Timothy was in those trials and he was witnessing right along with Paul. How many mentees what I mean by that is people being discipled have allowed people in their lives enough to really get to know them and know all their spiritual victories and failures. Well, if not, if you don't have that right now, it's time to start now. It's time to start today. Look, I know it may seem that I'm saying that you need to run and go mentor shopping like I did. And I really don't think this is a rush through process. I think this is something to be prayerful about and patient with. While at the same time, God gives clarity. You need to be persistent and patient. See, God, he just, he's designed this relationship so that we can be encouraged and uplifted and strengthened and emboldened in our faith. And so how do you apply this to your lives? What are some, what are some good qualities in a mentor or mentee you should look out for. Well, for the prospective mentor, if, if you're in here and you're like, who in this church can I look to? Or somebody that, that I can, who's somebody that can pour into me, that can help encourage me out of the pits of despair? It's pretty obvious. One, one of them is pretty clear. You need a mentor that has a good prayer life. One that Praise persistently and consistently. One, someone that you know will pray for you. Someone that will intercede for you. You also need a in a you can look for in a prospective mentor, someone who is relatable. Notice Paul and Timothy, they were rela- they they connected. And so you can look for someone who who you connect to beyond the superficial. And also you can find. A mentor that is rooted, one that is stronger and steadier in the faith that has exhibited spiritual longevity sorry that my time's up <laughs> I, I set a timer on my phone <laughs> to help to help me tie me down you know I can go in y'all I'm serious um, but you need someone who's rooted, one that's stronger and steadier in the faith that has shown spiritual longevity and that will help. Cultivate your spiritual roots as well. And for the prospective mentee, those in here who they're like, I know I should be pouring into somebody. How can you? How can you tell if this is someone that I should really dedicate my life to? Well, you can look to someone who is. You can look for a mentee that is open to you about their struggles. Paul, and Tim, Paul, 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 and Paul knew Timothy well. There was a level of transparency and trust. Someone that comes up to you all the time and they just want to talk to you. That's a sign that this is probably someone I should be pouring into. And also you should, in a prospective mentee, one who is genuinely, that you are genuinely interested in and not unnaturally trying to force yourself to be around. See, is there a connectivity with someone? That person might even be in this room. There's just something about that kid that I really want to see cultivated. It's a sign of a prospective mentee. And lastly, it's one who is genuine about where they're at spiritually. See, someone that you see a level of genuineness, they might not be having it all together because if my mentor saw me back then, (laughs) And he would have judged me based on my spiritual maturity. He would have never poured into me. But see, he saw he saw something. I don't know what he saw, but he saw something. And I'm grateful that he did, and he spent that time with me. See, Paul's, Paul's encouragement to this discouraged disciple worked. It really worked. Because at the end of Hebrews, look at Hebrews 13. In fact, let's turn there. I want to I want to just kind of close on this note, so we can see that this type of discipleship relationship works, that it actually can encourage someone when they're discouraged. In Hebrews 13, he he says in verse 23, "You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see. Hold up, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon." So Timothy, even though he was tempted, and look, notice in verse six and seven, he, they talk about why, how Timothy was tempted to snuff his gift. Well, Timothy didn't do that. He actually went back out there. He got the letter from Paul, meditated on it, ingested it, let it let it ruminate in his heart, and he went and did it. And he got arrested for it himself. And he got released in in Hebrews, which is long after Paul had died. But then. Church history, and it's it's not the best of sources, so I don't I don't trust it that much. But it's an illusion in, in church history that Timothy was a martyr as well. So just like his mentor suffered for the faith and stood up against those ob- obstacles and overcame them, so did his spiritual mentee. And so spiritual mentorships are what it will take. And those discipleship relationships can help us overcome these obstacles. Let's pray. Father, your grace is amazing. It truly, it truly is. It's, it's so good that you have designed the body of Christ that our relationships would be deep. The theme I heard was, knowing Jesus changes everything. And in the relationship of Timothy and Paul, and I think in the relationship as well, in us as well, knowing Jesus should change the depth of our relationships. Lord God, I pray that we would take the word and that it would take us deeper. And in your name I pray, Amen.